Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Title of the message is Step Into the Water. We begin with verse 7 of chapter 3. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan... The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We always thank you, Lord, for how powerful your word is. No matter what passage of scripture we choose to read at any given time, we're always, we're always reading a passage that will be over our head because it has depths that we cannot mine. And yet, every time we step into your word, you give us insights, many of which we had not seen before, which is also what makes us love your word so much. Most of all, I thank you, Lord, that your word points us to the living word who is our God and our Savior and the one whom we worship. And Lord, I pray that you'd point us to him this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Joshua describes the conquest of the land of Canaan by the children of Israel. It is a goal which has been the goal of God for Israel since way back in Genesis chapter 12. When Abram, who was living in what is today southern Iraq in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans, God called Abram and he said, I want you to get up away from your country, away from your homeland and away from your family, and I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. And Abram, not knowing much of anything other than that, got up, took his father and his wife and his nephew Lot, and he 
left the city of his homeland and he traveled a journey which would have taken him about somewhere between seven and eight hundred miles. And it took him many years to traverse that journey. He would lose his father on the way. Uh, when he got to Canaan, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 12 that things weren't exactly like he thought they'd be there. I, I do find that to be true in my own life. When I find myself going, finally, to where God wants me to be, I often find that the Canaanites are in the land. Somebody's sitting in my pew when I get there. Not only were the Canaanites in the land, but there was a famine in the land. None of those things were things that Abram expected when he got to Canaan. And so the Bible tells us that Abram didn't stay there. He didn't stay where God wanted him. He continued on down to Egypt where God never wanted him. Got down there and had to lie about who his wife was. That got him in trouble and got the folks in Egypt in trouble. And finally he left there and he came back up into Canaan. And he and Lot had some disagreements and they had to separate. And uh, it, it was just a long journey to Canaan. When they got to Canaan, uh, Abram had his son Isaac. And Isaac didn't like th- the way things were in the land of Canaan any more than Abram did. And, and there was a, a time when he went down into uh, the north. Uh, eastern part of Egypt and lied about his wife and that got him in trouble with Abimelech the Philistine and finally came back up and as you know the book of Genesis ends with the people where are they they're back down in Egypt where God never wanted them to be they just had a hard time staying where God wanted them to be does that relate to anybody you ever have a hard time Getting where God wants you to be and staying where God wants you to be. They go down into Egypt where they stay for about 430 years. The last at least century of that, if not more, they spent as slaves in Egypt. And you remember God sent Moses down there and and, uh, Moses brought them out. They crossed the Red Sea. They spent two years in the wilderness, the desert of the Arabian desert. And God says, now I want you to appoint Uh, a team of 12 spies, one from each tribe, and they're going to go up into the land of Canaan, the land that I've already given you, and I want them to spy it out, not so they can see if they can capture it, but just to see what it is, uh, give them a glimpse of what I have already given them. And they go up there and they spend 40 days, they come back, and they misconstrued their instructions. Their instructions were to get a glimpse of the land God had already given them, but they misconstrued those instructions and understood them or misunderstood them to mean God wanted us to go up into this land to see if we could overtake it. And by a 10 to 2 vote, they said, we don't believe we can. And so God said, okay, fair enough. The people voted with the majority of the committee, and what happened was they ended up spending 40 years, one year for every day the spies were in the land of Canaan. They wandered for 40 years in the desert of Arabia. And at the end of that 40 years, they find themselves all the way around the Dead Sea and on the eastern side of Jordan. And across the Jordan is the land of Canaan where God has always wanted them to be anyway. Moses is gone. Joshua is the new leader. They've never known any leader other than Moses. They're not sure if they can put their trust in Joshua. They believe he's a good man. They like him and everything. He comes from a good family. He was very respectful and and obedient to Moses, but he's not Moses. He can't even wear the same size shoes Moses does. Can we trust him? And this is of importance to God too, because he wanted the people to trust Joshua. 
But there was this, there was this tension. With Moses dead, there was this tension between leaders and followers and who was a leader worth following and who were the followers going to follow as a leader. And we see this dynamic played out in Joshua chapter 3. You see, God has still already given them the land. That has never changed. But they've got to take it. And the only way this conquest of Canaan is going to be successful is if there are leaders willing to step out and there are followers willing to follow them. That's the case with every nation. There are leaders and there are followers. That's the case with every family. There's a leader or leaders in the family. There are followers. That's the case in every church. There are leaders, more than one or two, and there are followers. And unless those leaders and followers can work together, there will be no conquest, regardless of what the land is. If it's Canaan or if it's a crisis or if it's a death or if it's a disease or if it's a future. So what does it take? What must take place before people can be expected to agree to obey and follow God's instructions? I want to put forth to you, propose to you, four things that we see in this text that tell us the things that must take place before people can be expected to follow leaders in following God's instructions. First of all, God's affirmation must be clear. God's affirmation must be clear. I've noticed that in churches when there is a major decision to be made, one of the first things that, uh, that God's people, even in our church, wonder, they say, well, you know, let me pray about that. Let us pray about that. And I think it is very important for us in any major decision to have the opportunity to take the time to pray over things. We want to make sure that we have God's affirmation of what's being done. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that, you may, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. It was important to God that the people knew that as God had affirmed Moses, he'd affirmed Joshua, and that the plans, the vision, the future that God had laid out was something that he had affirmed. God's affirmation of the plan and God's affirmation of the leaders is the first step and an absolutely necessary step in moving forward. John Maxwell, who's written, I don't know, about... 30,000 books all on leadership. I really think it's the same book being rewritten every time with a different title, but he's still got some really good principles on leadership. One of the things that he said that I find both comical and true is this. He said, he said, uh, uh, he defines a leader as this. A leader is someone who has followers. Whether they have a position, a title, if they're official or not official, a leader can be defined as someone who has followers. And he said, if, if, if you're a person and you call yourself a leader and you turn around and you don't have followers, he says, you're not a follower, you're simply taking a walk. Leaders have followers. Otherwise, they're not leaders. And so these people 
needed to know, it was important for God to know that Joshua was their leader and that God had affirmed Joshua in the same way that he affirmed Moses. Secondly, we're talking about what must take place before people can be expected to follow God's instructions. Secondly, the instructions must be clearly articulated. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, Now come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you all these different ites. Won't go through all those again. It's all I can do to go through them one time. This is how you will, you will know that he will certainly drive out before you all the ites. In verse 11, see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord? you remember the Ark of the Covenant? It's that thing Indiana Jones keeps trying to find. You know what I'm talking about? Inside the Ark of the Covenant, which is coated in gold, there is uh, that copy, that stone copy of the Ten Commandments, the second one that Moses didn't break. There was uh, Aaron's staff that had budded, even though it wasn't planted. You remember that. There was uh, a sample of the manna that they would eat while they were in the wilderness. I don't know how it kept in the Ark of the Covenant when it wouldn't keep overnight out in the wilderness. But anyway, those three things were in the Ark of the Covenant. And, and the people felt that where the Ark of the Covenant was, God's manifest presence was. We'll find later on, when uh, Israelite chooses to select a king... That at one time they're, they're toting the Ark of the Covenant. The priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And the leaders of Israel tell the people, do not, outside the priest, do not touch the Ark of the Covenant. You, you probably recall that. And under David, they're moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The priests are taking it. And there's one place where one of the priests, he stumbles just a little bit. And, and the soldier beside them, who was not a priest, reached up to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant and touched it. You remember that? You remember what happened to him? He died instantly. It was irreverent. Even, even for the purpose of balancing the Ark of the Covenant, it was an irreverent act to even touch it. So sacred was this Ark of the Covenant. And so Joshua says, See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. The Jordan is already uh, too strong for them to traverse. And not only that, but the writer of Joshua here in this chapter tells us that at this point, the, the river is at flood stage, which makes it even more treacherous. But Joshua says, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And so now choose 12 men from each of your tribe. They will go in the water ahead of you. And as soon as the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set, first, set their foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off. I don't know how much clearer the instructions could be for them here. I mean, a child who's learned to read, could read these instructions in verses 9 through 13 and, and understand the clarity of these instructions. So in order for people to follow God's instructions, first, they must be convinced that God has affirmed both the leaders and the mission. Second, they have to have the instructions clearly articulated. I, I do think that that, that, is, uh, that is an issue that, that 
in, in modern day churches, not just ours, but in, in many churches, we fail to clearly communicate the mission. Third, leaders must take a stand before the people can be expected to. Don't ask me to do something that you're not willing to do first. Don't ask me to commit to something that you have not already committed yourself to. I, I, I think you have a right to say that to me, to the pastoral staff, to the deacons of our church, to the leaders of every committee, to the directors of every ministry in this church. You as a congregation have the right to say, don't ask me to commit to anything that you're not already committed to. Leaders must take a stand before the people will be expected to. Verse 8, tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now we think, well, this is just like a little creek and they're going down there and tipping their toes in the water. No, stepping into the water was, was taking your life into your own hands. It was risking your life simply to put your feet into those waters at flood stage. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, what did they do? They went ahead of them. The Jordan was at flood stage. Later in verse 15, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water stopped flowing. It piled up in a heat a great distance away. And the water going down toward the Dead Sea was cut off. But that did not happen until the leaders, it did not happen before the leaders put their feet into the water. The leaders were expected to take a stand before the people were expected to. Verse 17, the priest then who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan. Now, they put their feet in the water, and when they put their feet in the water, God dammed up the water a great distance upstream. So that the water's cut off. Once the water is cut off, the priest and that group of one leader from every tribe of the children of Israel, they step into the Jordan River, and they don't go all the way through. They stop there. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant stopped in the middle of the Jordan and they stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. In other words, the leaders were expected to be the first into the water and the last out of the water. The first into the Jordan, a riverbed, and the last to come out of it. That way they not only set the pace for the congregation, but they, they were saying, look, we're staying right here. We're putting our leadership and our lives on the line until you are safely all the way through. That's what the leaders did. It would have been enough, really, had they simply led the way and came on through and the people followed them. But it wasn't enough for them. It wasn't enough just for them to lead the way. They, they led the way into the riverbank. They stopped into the riverbed. They stopped in the middle of it until everybody had safely crossed. And then they were the last ones. To come. The first in and the last out. Sounds like a general or a leader of a battalion. I'll be the first in to lead you boys and I'll be the last one out after you've come out. We can't expect the people to follow us until the leaders take a stand first. 
But when God's affirmation is clear and when the instructions have been articulated and when leaders are willing to make the commitment before they're asking their followers to commit to it, then, number four, there comes the point when people must step out in faith too. Leaders cannot do it alone. Verse 16, the last half. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The people crossed over. The priests carried the ark into the Jordan. They stood on dry ground. While what happened? All Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing over on dry ground. There comes a time when people must follow the leadership. If God's affirmation is clear, if the instructions are clearly articulated, and if the leaders have been willing to step into the water. If those three things have occurred, people need to follow. People need to get on board. People need to be as one. Now, this question comes up, though, who is a leader? Talking about the relationship between leaders and followers, well, who in the world is a leader? A leader is someone who has followers, John Maxwell said. We could say that leaders in church are those who have been elected to positions by the church, pastor, associate pastor, children's minister, student minister, Hispanic minister, worship leaders, deacons, leaders of Bible study, leaders of home groups, leaders of the ladies groups, leaders of the men's groups people who've been elected chairpersons of committees. We could say all of those things, couldn't we? People who have been elected to certain positions within the church. But I will tell you, while those are leaders, those aren't the only leaders. There are also those who do not hold offices, but they are looked up to by others, and therefore they have influence over what other people decide to do. And this may be someone with, a, with a, an elected position, elected title, or it may be someone who doesn't. But if there are people who look up to you, and they respect you, and therefore your opinions influence their opinions, then you, whether you have a position or not, you are a leader. Furthermore, if you're a dad, you're a leader. If you're a mother... You're a leader or a grandfather or a grandmother. You are a leader. And not only that, but just like any other leader, whether it's pastor or deacon or committee chair or Bible study director, not only are you a leader, but you have a responsibility to lead your family. Leaders have to lead. Leaders are given responsibility to make a difference. Because people are following you. So I will ask myself and I ask every person who has an elected position and I ask every person who has anybody at all who looks up to them for their influence. I ask every father and every mother and every grandparent in this room, which is going to include most of us. I'm asking you right now, what kind of leader are you? Another way to put it is, what are people doing as a result of your leadership?
Which side of the Jordan are people standing on as a result of your leadership? It's interesting, I think, that when you think about this 40-year wilderness period, it started with the parting of the Red Sea. It ended with the parting of the Jordan River. But you know which one of those we remember most often? It's not the parting of the Jordan. In fact, most people don't even know anything about the parting of the Jordan. They know about the parting of the Red Sea. But you know what the parting of the Red Sea started? It started 40 years of wandering around. Let me tell you what was far more important. The parting of the Jordan. Because the parting of the Jordan led the people finally to the place where God wanted them to be to start with. God is not, he has never been and is not even now pleased with people who want to wander. He wants us to be in Canaan. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for Joshua, for the priests, for those leaders who were chosen by those tribes, who were willing to stick their necks out, their feet in the water. And when the water heaped up miles upstream, they were willing to step into the deepest part of the riverbed. And they were willing to stay put there until all the people came through. They were the first in and the last out. And the people saw their courage and their commitment and their leadership. And they followed them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who have leaders and followers. If everybody was a leader, Lord, we'd be in a mess. If everybody was only a follower, we'd be in a mess. And so give us leaders and followers who are willing to step into the water, hang out there until everybody gets through, and then go in and conquer the land. Lord, give us a chronic discontent with living on this side of the Jordan. In Jesus' name.